Well, the king he invited people to come to a wedding for his son, but they all said no. What in the world am I talking about? It's in Matthew chapter 22, and Jesus told this story. It is a great story to listen to today. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. My name is Rod Henry. I'm Janice. In about three minutes, we're going to study that story in Matthew chapter 22. This is fascinating as we look at it. Corey and Ryan are here as well. Corey, I'm going to take a look at some ancient stone vessels today. Ryan, today Jesus is challenged by the Sadducees about the biblical doctrine of resurrection, but Jesus totally dismantles their arguments. So we're going to talk about that a little bit later on. Yeah, the dismantling of the arguments is fascinating. Okay, Janice. Today, wardrobe check. All right, very good. It's a good day to get your Bible out. The most important book of all. And the Bible guide, if you don't have one, stay there because we'll tell you how you can get one. Let's open it up and let's look at what God says. Matthew 22. 1 through 14. And Jesus answered and spoke to them again by parables and said, The kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who arranged a marriage for his son, and sent out his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding, and they were not willing to come. Again, he sent out other servants, saying, Tell those who are invited, See, I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and fatted cattle are killed, and all things are ready. Come to the wedding. But they made light of it and went their ways, one to his own farm, another to his business. And the rest seized his servants, treated them spitefully, and killed them. But when the king heard about it, he was furious, and he sent out his armies, destroyed those murderers, and burned up their city. Then he said to his servants, The wedding is ready, but those who were invited were not worthy. Therefore go into the highways, and as many as you find, invite to the wedding." So those servants went out into the highways and gathered together all whom they found, both bad and good. And the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to see the guests, he saw a man there who did not have on a wedding garment. So he said to him, Friend, how did you come in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Then the king said to the servants, Bind him hand and foot, take him away, and cast him into outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called, but few are chosen. Matthew chapter 22, verses 1 through 14. We come up on the end of Matthew, Matthew chapter 22 and 23. This really gets interesting. You know, in spite of our unworthiness, God calls and invites us into his kingdom. Now, wait a minute. God's kingdom? That's right. In Matthew 22, Jesus tells us a parable about a wedding banquet given by a king for his son. With everything prepared and ready, the king sends out his servant to call the invited guest to come. 
But each guest is having an excuse, and some don't even pay attention. The king sends out his servants again, and this time to anyone they can find to invite them to the banquet. When the guests arrive at the wedding, the feast, one of them is found who does not dress for the occasion. And he's questioned by the king with no answer. So the guest is thrown out. Now, while it may at first look like he came to honor the king's son, his refusal was to wear the proper wedding garments. And that showed his true disrespect. While many are called, it is only those who repent and honor the Lord Jesus Christ who are chosen that enter the kingdom of God. Many are called, but who is chosen? And that's important because that choice comes to you. That choice comes to us. Will we serve the Lord Jesus Christ with all our heart, mind, and soul, or will we not? Well, let's study today. Take your Bible guide and turn to it. This is really interesting. And as we focus on this parable, uh, I would say that if you don't have a Bible guide, you can get one by writing or calling us uh, or going to BibleDiscoveryTV.com. And when you go there, click on the webpage that uh, has the Bible guide on it. And thank you for the donations you'll make, whatever it is, praise God. And it'll, you can download it exactly like we printed it. And uh, that's very important. But we, we need to pray because this is a really interesting passage and we need to understand what it says. Father, help us today as we focus on this passage in our morning devotions, afternoon devotions, evening devotions, or something else. But Lord, help us to understand because we need to know what Matthew chapter 22 says. Teach us your way and show us your path in the name of Jesus Christ. And we said together, amen and amen. Let's read the first part of this because this is really something. And Jesus answered and spoke to them again by parables. And he said, the kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who arranged a marriage for his son and sent out his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding. And they were not willing to come. Again, he sent out other servants saying, tell those who are invited, see, I have prepared my dinner, my oxen and fatted cattle are killed and all of the things are ready. Come to the wedding. But they made light of it and went their own ways, one to his own farm, another to his business. And the rest seized the servants and treated them spitefully and killed them. This is fascinating. The king invited people to come to the wedding, but they refused. Beloved, we should accept God's invitation to join with him. Let me tell you something. God has an invitation for you today. He has an invitation for me right now. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden. I will give you rest. This is the time to come to Jesus. Come to the Lord. Jesus, come into my life. I'm a sinner. I believe you died on the cross and rose again. Be the Lord of my life. You get with God. You focus on him and pray that. And if you're serious, God will come in and change things. That's the invitation that we have. That becomes very important. Matthew 22, 7. But when the king heard about it, he was furious. And he sent out his armies 
destroyed those murderers and burned up their city. And then he said to his servants, the wedding is ready, but those who were invited were not worthy. Therefore, go into the highways and as many as you find, invite them to the wedding. The king sent out his servants to invite as many as they could find. The Lord Jesus extends his invitation to all who will come. All. Now, let me be clear about this. I'm inviting you. Come to Jesus Christ right now. As far as this pro, we, we've done the best we can, and we will continue to try. We're getting this program out to as many people on the internet, on television as possible. Come to Jesus Christ. It's not about calling an 800 number or giving offerings. It's not what it's about. When I say come to Jesus Christ, I am simply asking you to give your life to a cause that is beyond this world. Give your life to, it doesn't mean you have to do anything except say, be honest with your sin and say the truth about Jesus Christ that you believe he died on the cross and rose again. Father, forgive our unbelief. Come into our hearts and be the Lord of our life. And when you do that, your life begins to transform and change. Beloved, that's all you have to do. Come to Jesus today. Next scripture. As we continue reading Matthew chapter 22, verses 10 to 14. So those servants went out into the highways they did and gathered together all whom they found, both bad and good. And the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to see the guest, he saw a man there who did not have on a wedding garment. So he said to him, friend, how did you come in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. He couldn't speak. And then the king said to the servants, bind him hand and foot, take him away and cast him into the outer darkness, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now this is what he says, verse 14, look. For many are called, but few are chosen. Many are called, but few are chosen. Beloved, listen to me carefully. God's calling everybody. The question is, will you choose God? God's chosen you and he waits for your decision. Will you choose God? Because if you choose God, you're chosen. Choose Jesus Christ today. I did many years ago and I am so glad I did. I want to tell you, the Lord has saved my life. I mean, I read the Bible. I continue to read the Bible every year. And that the word of God is so good. It saved me. I realized, I thought I was a good person, but I realized, I started reading the Bible, I realized I, I need Jesus in my life. I was in the Old Testament. I didn't even read the New Testament. I was, I was in Psalms and Proverbs. And I said to the Lord, I know all about you, but I don't even know how to talk to you. So help me, Lord. Help me, Lord. And he did. I mean, it changed everything in my life. And so I've been doing this following God, doing the best I can ever since. And the Lord does amazing things. So here's what I say to you. My one, if you remember anything, here's what I would say. Come to Jesus Christ. Pray to him. Make him Lord of your life. Come to Jesus. 
We celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. When you clap and when you get excited, you are celebrating life. Do you understand that? Jesus Christ gave us life. But he promised that the Holy Spirit would be sent. So today I want to talk a little bit about the concept of ritual purity in the first century Jewish context, the context that Jesus and the disciples were teaching and living within. Because Jesus says something really interesting in Matthew chapter 23 that would have been incredibly offensive to the scribes and the Pharisees. You know, Jesus just calls them out. He calls them hypocrites in front of the people that they're supposed to be leading into the righteousness of God. Uh, so in Matthew 23, verse 25, he says this, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you clean the outside of the cup and plate, but inside you're full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and the plate, that the outside also may be clean. So there's this idea that on the outside, they look very ritually pure, the scribes and the Pharisees, but on the inside, they're not clean before God at all. They're not righteous at all. They've got righteousness backwards. Well, I think it's really interesting when we look at the archaeological record that there is potential evidence of a fixation in the first century with ritual purity. Take a look. First century Judaism had as a uniting symbol the Jewish temple in Jerusalem. The temple centralized the giving of sacrifices and the various annual celebratory festivals of Israel. Though the temple and festivals were important, there was much more to ancient Judaism than this unifying place. Synagogues, scripture, and teachers of the law existed throughout Jewish society, and the faithful practiced their faith in all aspects of their daily life. Community synagogues were an essential aspect of Jewish daily faith, and in the first century BC, the mikvah, or immersion bath for ritual purity, joined the fold. Both public and private mikvah pools are known from archaeology. They're distinctive in their overall design and in where they are built. Namely, wherever there was a Jewish community, mikvah could be found. These baths enabled the faithful to observe the purity laws of bathing found in the Mosaic Law in both a real and convenient way. Beyond mikvah, many researchers suggest that there was an even closer way to express the Jewish faith through dishes made of stone. The popularity of stone-carved dishes increased in the first century BC and lasted until the second century AD. Their popularity largely coincides with the boom of known Jewish mikvah. The idea is that water for personal purification rites like hand washing before prayers and before meals could be kept in stone jars, as is seen in John chapter 2. On top of this, it's known that later Jewish thought believed natural stone to be more resistant to becoming ritually impure than other materials like wood or pottery. Or at the very least, stone vessels and dishes could be purified with water, whereas pottery dishes rendered impure had to be destroyed. 
Pottery was very common and inexpensive, but its destruction was surely still a material loss and an overall inconvenience. Interestingly, the stone used in these dishes was chalk, which seems an unusual choice for dishes because it's a porous and dusty material. It must have had a distinct advantage for Jews in this time period, however, because it is consistently found in Jewish contexts, but almost never outside them. This may be due to the fact that the Mosaic Law does not mention stone vessels at all in its purity laws. Pottery was to be broken, wood washed with water, metal with water or fire, but nothing is said of stone. This scriptural loophole may have fostered the belief that stone cannot be rendered impure. Recently, near Nazareth in the city of Cana, where the Gospel of John records the stone jars of pure water, a chalkstone quarry has been unearthed. Inside the quarried cave, chalkstone vessels were found at different stages of production. So there we go, some potential evidence for the concept, the concept of trying to stay ritually pure, which on its face, you know, when, is not a bad thing when you go back and you look at the Mosaic Law, but what it had evolved into, what it had become, and what the people were depending on for their righteousness is what Jesus was specifically coming against. Very interesting, Corey. That's fascinating. Ryan. All right, so my segment today comes from Matthew chapter 22, verses 23 to 33. And this is one of my very favorite passages because Jesus does something absolutely brilliant here. But it's really easy to miss if you don't know what the beliefs of the Sadducees were. And what were those beliefs? Well, they only accepted the first five books of Moses, which are Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. They didn't accept the rest of the Old Testament. As a result, they didn't believe in a resurrection. After all, there are no examples of resurrection in these five books of the Bible, right? Well, not so fast. Jesus actually uses a passage from Exodus chapter 3, which is a book that they accepted as scripture to defend the doctrine of the resurrection. Check it out. At the turn of history, when Jesus Christ walked this earth, there were four different Jewish factions. The Pharisees, the Sadducees, the Essenes, and the Zealots. Of these, the Pharisees and Sadducees were the ones who regularly opposed the teachings of Jesus. As a matter of fact, just after the Lord cleansed the temple for a second time, the Sadducees challenged him on the biblical doctrine of resurrection. Unlike the Pharisees who believed in the authority of the whole Tanakh, the Sadducees only accepted the first five books of Moses as scripture. And since there were no apparent examples of life after death in the Pentateuch, they rejected the idea of bodily resurrection. This is why they decided to publicly challenge Jesus to a theological debate on this issue. And they begin by pointing to Moses' command in Deuteronomy 25.5 regarding leveret marriage which says that if a man dies having no children, his brother shall marry his wife and raise up offspring for his brother. The Sadducees then proceed to tell Jesus about seven brothers. The first died after he had married, they explained, and having no offspring, left his wife to his brother. Likewise, the second also, and the third, even to the seventh. Last of all, the woman died also. Therefore, in the resurrection, whose wife of these seven will she be? For they all had her. To be sure, the Sadducees had concocted this story only as a means to mock the idea of life after the grave. But Jesus wasn't the least bit befuddled. You are mistaken, he said. 
not knowing the scriptures nor the power of God. For in the resurrection they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels of God in heaven. The Lord here, in the same breath, was correcting not just one, but two of their errors. First, regarding the resurrection of the dead, but second, regarding the existence of angels. According to Acts 23.8, Sadducees did not believe in angels or spirits. And so by comparing the resurrection bodies of humans with angels, Jesus was effectively plucking two weeds with one pole. But then he returns to the main concern of the debate. But concerning the resurrection of the dead, he continues, Have you not read what was spoken to you by God through Moses, saying, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob? God is not the God of the dead, but of the living. As Jesus full well knew, the Sadducees would not accept his words or any words outside of the five books of Moses as authoritative, which is precisely why he ends off by quoting Exodus 3.6, which indisputably confirms that there is indeed a resurrection for God's own. And if there was any question of whom the victor of this debate was, the reaction of the people says it all. The Sadducees were silenced and the crowd was astonished. You know, I've read a lot of great commentaries on the Bible, but the truth is nothing can compare with the commentary that our Lord Jesus Christ gives. As a matter of fact, when any of the Holy Spirit-inspired authors of the Bible interpret other biblical passages, we need to accept those interpretations as fact. One of the very first rules of Bible study is interpreting Scripture with Scripture. And yes, like I said, there are a lot of good Bible commentaries available, but none of them are totally without error. Only scripture can hold to that perfect standard. It's very important to keep that in mind. Yeah, it is important. And scripture interprets scripture. We understand that, defines it. But that's very important. Thank you, Ryan. Janice? I called this wardrobe check. And, um, you know, we're, we're looking at a parable that Jesus told. And Rod's already taught on it. So I'm not going to go over the whole thing again. But the idea of this parable is that a king is giving his son a feast, a wedding feast in his honor. And he invites all of these people to come and, and to make a very uh, long parable short uh, for time here right now. He sends out his servants to call in those to come to the wedding feast because the ones that had been called, they didn't want to come. And we read here, then he said to his servants, the wedding is ready, but those who were invited were not worthy. And the verse that I really want to focus on is Matthew 22, verse 11. But when the king came in to see the guests, he saw a man there who did not have on a wedding garment. So he said to him, friend, how did you come in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. And we might think to ourselves, well, what's the big deal? Uh, you know, it's just, he, he, he wasn't dressed up. What, what's the big deal? Because we see later on that the king became infuriated and had his servants throw this man out. And it was a big deal. You know, we don't just go to a wedding feast even today with pajama bottoms on. We like to try and, and dress up because it's a festival occasion. We want to honor the, 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 the groom and the bride here. And now Corey could probably put it in much better context with the history of the time, but still, even today, right? Mm -hmm. When we go to a wedding, a special event, mm -hmm. we dress up. What's my point? This message was that this man had come in to the wedding feast and it shows on the outside that he came to honor the king son, but because he chose not to dress in wedding garments, it was actually very dishonoring to the son. 
to the king. And in the same way, when we give our lives to follow the Lord Jesus Christ, we need to do and follow what Christ asks us to do and follow. We need not make, you know, not always lead to heaven. Jesus said, I am the truth. I am the life. I am the way. No one comes to the Father except through me. And when we give our lives over to the Lord Jesus Christ, we become a new creation. And we become what God helps us to become from the inside out. And the way that we are to dress now is in the righteousness of God, which honors Him, which is a demonstration to others of our love and dedication to him. You know, I'm going to digress here a little bit because I think it sort of puts it in a fun context here. There was a show, Corey, you and I used to watch. It was a long time ago when we needed just to sit and kind of decompress. Mm -hmm. We would watch a show called um, What Not to Wear. It's great. It was a great show (laughs) because the premise was you would bring your wardrobe to this couple And they would go through it and say, well, this doesn't work for you. That doesn't work for you. They would take into uh, um, example your height, your size, your shape, and they would teach you what not to wear. But then they would take you shopping and help you to choose things that you should wear, things that complimented you. Then you would get your, yes, things that were flattering. Get your hair done a certain way. And, and, And they just showed you how to dress. Well, you know, the end of that result, the person always looked terrific. Mm-hmm. But the next day, they would be able to decide, am I going to continue to wear mm-hmm. this? Am I going to, or am I going to go back to my old ways? You know, it's the same thing. And I know that's kind of a silly example, but making it simple for us to learn that when we choose to make that commitment to follow the Lord Jesus Christ as his disciple, We need to follow him. The way that we follow him is by having a relationship with him. That is how we honor him. That is how we can be an ambassador of him. We get his word into our heart and begin to live it out in our lives. So let's do a wardrobe check today. Are we living and dressing ourselves in the righteousness of the Lord? October 21st is a great day. We're going to be live and give some speaking assignments to Corey, to Ryan and to Janice and myself. And what we're going to do is we're going to speak and then we're going to meet with you afterwards. And 1 to 5.30, it's at Faith Gospel Tabernacle in Brampton, Ontario, Canada. Go to our website and make sure that you register free of charge. Lord, help us all to live our lives in a way that is absolutely pleasing to you. In Jesus' name, amen.